Hey guys, Bill Spadia here. Welcome back to my podcast. As you know, we've been doing a special series with our friends at Recovery Centers of America, speaking recovery and talking about what resources are available to those battling addiction. As we've talked about time and again, the crisis in New Jersey is enormous. We average three times the national average when it comes to overdose deaths. Uh, people are fighting every day. Clearly, the, the policies, which uh, many of us think were very misguided when it came to lockdowns and uh, who was able to get care, et cetera, have certainly set the movement back, the battle against addiction. The good news is our friends at RCA are in the fight and they're in to win. Joining me today, Stephanie Davis. She is the Regional Director for Recovery Centers of America. Stephanie, great to see you. Thanks so much for having me, Bill. It's great to be here. So let's jump right in. I, I think it's always good to reset uh, uh, every week so people kind of understand the context. Uh, the numbers that I threw out, I mean, they're, they're, they're frightening when it comes to the real human toll. People who are struggling, don't know where to go, and they're in this endless cycle. And many of them have already tried the path of rehabilitation. They've gone through rehab. They have failed afterward. Let's, let's talk about uh, your perspective from Recovery Centers of America. And let's talk to the person right now who's listening, who is addicted. Maybe they're on the verge of thinking, hey, I, I probably need to do something about this. Walk me through, they call 1-888-RECOVERY. What happens? So, Bill, they get a live representative 24 hours a day, 365 days a week. doesn't matter if it's Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's, 2 o'clock on a Tuesday or 2 a.m. on a Thursday. Somebody's always here that understands and is there to really support you through the entire process. You're t when you pick up that phone, it's answered in 10 seconds or less. So what, what happens? You, I mean, my guess is you've got a, a really uh, wide range of people. Some are on the phone in tears. Some are on the phone. They're, they're drunk. They're high. They're in a bad place. Maybe they're in a, a fight with a parent or a sibling or a spouse. Um, what, what's, um, what is the first thing that your folks are trained to do? And what can someone expect if they're in that dark moment? thinking of the worst call. I think of people who are in the throes of a very emotional outburst and then maybe they are, they're, they're uh, under the influence. How do you guys take it from there? So our trained advisors, a lot of them have been them there themselves. I know myself and my team were, were the boots on the ground that answer the phone 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. And a lot of us, including myself, have been there in that place of desperation and hopelessness. And they're really there to make this experience less frightening, to de-escalate that situation, really identify what are the barriers and the needs for you to find that long lasting and meaningful recovery that we know is possible and probable if you just take that first step. So, so there- What happens? So some calls, let's say it's, it's one o'clock in the morning, someone calls and, and uh, do you send someone out? Do you, is there a coordination with local law enforcement? Like what happens? Wow, there's a lot of answers to that because there's yeses across the board. So 
once you call us, we'll identify what are those barriers? What is the real program that's going to meet you where you're at and really catapult you into that? We're going to have a bed on hold for you. And we deploy our own transportation. So one of our trained licensed drivers will pick you up from your home and escort you right into one of our buildings. And you're greeted by a professional and knowledgeable admissions department that's really going to explain everything to you thoroughly and make sure that your family is contacted and that your job is protected and that everything is set up for you walking into one of our facilities and starting this journey. Let, let's talk about alone. it from a, from a, a spouse or a, a significant other perspective. Let's, let's take a, a guy who is addicted. Maybe it's, maybe it's heroin, maybe it's booze and, and uh, just uh, somewhat out of control uh, wife or girlfriend calls the number. It's not the addict themselves. Uh, calls for help. Uh, what? How do you? How do you deal with a situation like that? So that's actually a very common situation. Most often, um, we're the last ones as people suffering from the disease of addiction to realize just how far we've gone and how bad it's gotten. And it's a loved one that identifies that we really need that help. So the first line of defense, and one of the things I love about RCA is our commitment to breaking that down. So we do have intervention services available. We walk this family through not just the path to getting their loved one in, but we also provide support and education for the family before, during, and after treatment, as well as those who aren't even engaged in the RCA um, treatment line. Our Seeds to Recovery group um, is available several times a month, and it is a free resource to not just RCA patrons, but to anyone might, who might need that guidance on where to send a family member, what to do, what type of program to look for. It's, it's so called Seeds it's, for Recovery? It's called Seeds to Recovery. You can find it on our Recovery Centers of America website. It does have its own um, web address, so you can just Google Recovery Centers of America Seeds to Recovery. It is run by our amazing, amazing licensed family therapeutic team. Um, and it's a group of other family members who have that loved one who may not realize just how bad it's gotten. And it, mm -hmm. it really helps to find the right path for your family, your loved one. What do you, and, and I, I'm going to ask this question, and I, I don't mean this to sound political at all, um, but we live in a day and age that, that politicians make decisions and those decisions impact families, they impact people who are struggling, they impact businesses, they certainly impact healthcare providers. Um, what is something that you're hearing from a lot of the folks that are on the ground battling this uh, sadly growing problem, not shrinking problem? that you think maybe the politicians in Washington, Trenton, Albany, uh, et cetera, need to hear? What, what, what is a message you think they need to hear on both sides of the aisle? There are people alone, sick and suffering today that don't know the resources that are available, don't know how to find them, and or are pushed into a relapse recycle scenario that is not just frustrating, but it's deadly. Right now, when, as we emerge from the pandemic, the fear is a feeding point for addiction. It is fueling the fire of isolation, 
of separation. This is a disease of disconnection. If you look at treatment services, if you look at the 12-step programs, if you look at faith-based programs, all of them reconnect us to human contact, to a support system, to something greater than ourselves, to a place where we're not alone to suffer in silence. And the stigma is keeping us sick and suffering day in and day out. There are amazing people who have made bad choices under the influence of a disease that when they do take that leap and reach out to get that help are then given no opportunities to reenter society and reconnect to that human contact that's so imperative for success and long, full, long meaningful recovery. So let's talk about that. Um, how long is the program? So let's do, let's walk through that same scenario. Uh, wife is distraught, husband's drunk, and he's fighting with it, battling with it. You got all those demons that come bubbling up, and it's something that they maybe that they've gone through it over the years, and and he tried to recover, and then it was fine for a couple months, and then the trigger, and you're right back south again. Uh, this happens to so many people, um, and and finally, you know, comes to a breaking point. And your team comes out, picks him up. Now he's at the recovery center. What can you expect as far as, is it 30 days? Is there a physical detox process that goes on? I know that people who are uh, drinking so heavily, let's deal with alcohol for a minute beyond even, because I, as I understand it, maybe you can correct me, you're the expert, uh, but I understand that it's almost harder physically to detox from alcoholism than, than heroin, which sounds to the person on the outside, that sounds completely crazy. It does. But people can die um, getting weaned off. So there's a certain level that you've got to walk them through. So what's that like? So alcohol is particularly tricky. Your body as it detoxes from alcohol can suffer seizure, stroke, high blood pressure, hmm. so many physical adverse side effects from it removing the alcohol from your body that it is dangerous and sometimes deadly without medical intervention. Wow. That process typically, depending on your substance, length of use, amount of use, typically runs four to seven days. Um, and it is a medically monitored uh, process the medical director oversees it every day. Registered nurses, LPNs, RNs are there 24 hours a day, making sure your vitals are stable, your medications are right, that there's no- so you guys have doctors effects. and nurses on the team? We do, in the building 24 hours a day, seven days a week. After your detox process and you start to feel better, residential care usually lasts 21 to 28 days. So when you're looking at an inpatient stay with RCA, could be anywhere from 21 to 45 days. And it's a very, very individualized and encompassing of not just the individual, but their family and their loved ones and their support system, because that is going to be a key and critical staple as they move to an outpatient setting. That outpatient setting has many different levels as well. When you're looking at that first entry into an outpatient setting, you're going to typically see about five days a week and then step down to three and then two as you transition into normal life with that support system in place, both clinically and with your key support system, whether that be AA, family or church, supporting you as you really kind of get through those hurdles of life showing back up on life's terms 
knowing you can't do this alone. We tried that before RCA. Now we're wrapping you with the support that you need. So, so how, how soon do you how soon do you do you engage the family in the support group? Immediately. So the family is contacted within 48 hours of admission. We really start that process of not just including them into the individual's treatment process, but starting the healing process, the education process and the support process for the family as well. I know 17 years in sobriety myself, my family is my first line of defense, along with my AA fellowship, they're going to be the first ones to identify way before the fact that things are just off with me. And learning those skills while your loved one is engaging in that healing process is so critical because we know that first year is the hardest part of this journey. How do you how do you engage kids? I, I've noticed this. This is something that that fascinated me as we started on this journey working with um, uh, recovery groups, and and I, I host a lot of different events for um, uh, sober living, etc. And I, I you know just talking to parents who have lost loved ones, and it, it's it's so heartbreaking and difficult. Um, but I found that it seems that the age is older than people think. That you're dealing with people in their 40s and 50s in many cases. And many people who are in their 40s and 50s, uh, they develop this habit, maybe it never came to a head until, you know, the last couple of years, and now all of a sudden it's out of control. Uh, but oftentimes, they'll have kids who are old enough to know. So let's talk to the dad or, or the mom who uh, right now who's got a, a 15-year-old at home, and they've got a, a serious substance abuse, and, and the kid knows. You know, they, they act like they think they're hiding the bottles and everything else. They're not. The, the kid knows, and it's, it's stressful. How do, you, how do you repair that damage and send that parent then back out into the world? So that's really a process that is led through, you know, clinical engagement across the board. I would say, I hear you say a 15 year old and, and being a mother in long-term recovery that had children through before, during and after this journey for myself, I know our children know at every age, as little as one and two, as big as 25, and they identify differently. But I know that our actions affect their world much more than we realize, especially in addiction. Addiction is a disease of selfishness and self-centeredness. And we think we're not hurting anyone but ourselves when the case is, is that everyone around us is suffering with us, especially our children. That conversation needs to be had at all ages and stages. And that's really where our clinical team comes in and really looks at your particular situation and how to guide that conversation appropriately and engage them in part of the healing process. Because as we've found over generations of people getting clean and sober, not getting clean and sober, one way we know for sure to break this cycle and not see our children make the same mistakes as we do is helping them to understand that this is a disease and that it needs to be treated as such in the beginning through initial treatment and through the recovery recovery process as well as the maintenance process of stabilizing that recovery. Can so I, children really do not just see it, but feel the effects of it. 
Let me ask you, and, and maybe you, I don't know if anybody ever challenges this or talks to you about this, but some, some of us, you know, we hear this for years about a disease and it's hard sometimes to compare it where someone uh, may get cancer through no fault of their own and uh, all the amount of willpower, all the amount of, of wanting to be selfless, et cetera, isn't going to cure cancer. Um, you know, and, and this you can through force of will and guidance, et cetera, you can cure it. So, so how do you reconcile that? What's the difference? Is it, is, is the point of categorizing it as a disease more so people know they, there is a treatment and a cure and a path? How do you, how do you separate the two from personal responsibility? You said a disease of, of selfishness. I've never heard anyone say that. That's a fascinating way to characterize it. That I will tell you, Stephanie, that's one of the best ways I've heard it characterized. Um, how do you reconcile that between the, okay, disease, I take medicine, uh, I've got a crisis in my mind and I'm fighting these demons and what, what's the, the difference and how do you, how do you, uh, see the two? So I love to explain identifying addiction as a disease like this, right? You have two sets of people. One person can drink throughout college. And when it comes time to take that big test, they have the ability to set that drink down. And then you have another person who is drinking through college. And when it comes time to take that big test, they can't take that test without alcohol. And that's kind of the distinguishing point. Mm -hmm. But addiction, just like cancer, just like diabetes, just like so many other diseases, is progressive and deadly. We know that if we continue to use, jails, institutions, and death are our future. We know if we don't get treatment for cancer, that will eventually take us over. Just like you have two people that both smoke. One will have lung cancer and one will not. That Our bodies don't always tell us who we are prior to trying that. But the treatment, just because we're not taking a pill or we're not being you know, put up to an IV for chemo treatment, the treatment is the same. When we as addicts really start taking our path down the road of addiction, our brain chemistry physically changes. And one of the first things that happen is our frontal lobe goes offline. Our frontal lobe is the decision-making center of our brain. So I hear people say, why can't you just stop? Why can't you just choose not to drink today or not to pick up today? When physically in the throes of addiction, in the disease of addiction, that is not always a possibility for us. And it's not just removing the substance. It's also treating the trauma. It is also creating healthy coping mechanisms, really learning to live life on life's terms in such a day and age that that is not something that's taught like math or English or writing in school we're just as a society expecting people to deal with traumatic situations and now even more so than ever, as there is no normal, really, how do we cope with that, right? So a lot of people suffering from the disease of addiction have found that drugs and alcohol brought them to a place of sanity, safety, and calmness and that's their reward for that coping mechanism reinforced 
by the change in the brain chemistry. And it just continues to spiral out of control and with no intervention is just as deadly as cancer, diabetes, things like that. So while the treatment is different, the progression and the fatality of the disease is just as serious as anything that you can have diagnosed physically. Stephanie, that was one of the best explanations that I've heard. And I think that's very helpful. I think a lot of people, it's very easy to confuse the two. And and, uh, we know that there is such a component of willpower that comes after that. But I think the way you're describing it, um, it is about dealing with your triggers. It's about moving through life. It's about being able to, my guess is uh, there are times where you find yourself maybe not, I don't know, as the designated driver that you're out and uh, then somebody you're with has had too much to drink. You're like, well, I'm not drinking, so I'll drive. Uh, you know, and it's got to be hard. I mean, I, I can I can only imagine that it's a, it's a challenge. Maybe it's not a daily challenge, um, but but it's certainly got to be something that I know I, I mean, on a simple, simple level, just friends of mine, we used to smoke when we were in the Marine Corps. And, um, you know, I miss it once in a while, but I, I stopped cold turkey and I was able to do that. And I know for me, it was, for me, it was because my life insurance, I had my daughter and it was like three times as expensive. I'm like, that's it. I'm done. Put it out. Stop. But, yeah. but it, you know, and I don't mean that to be light at all, except to say, I, I hear what you're saying that different people deal with outside substances like that in very different ways. So this was a, that was a very, that was really a brilliant way of characterizing it. I want to thank you for that because that's a, Absolutely. that's a question that comes up often. And let me tell you, one of the things that I love most about Recovery Centers of America, I've been doing this for 16 years for a very long time. And one thing that RCA is really doing is creating that after support that is so critical for when life shows up on life's terms. When you run into that drunk person, you have to drive home. As a mother, when you show up to functions with other moms who aren't in recovery, who are having mimosas and planning Mm -hmm. birthday parties, these situations in early recovery Uh, you know, is where as an industry as a whole, I think we kind of fell short and really relied on the 12 step groups to get us through that recovery Mm -hmm. centers of America identified that that's really where we're falling short and has created virtual platforms for anyone in early recovery to get through those, those moments with, you, you know, that, that connection. Do you find Stephanie with that, that, that it's more helpful or does it depend on the person uh, to be upfront? So I'm at a group. Do, do, do you find people just make an excuse? Oh, I, you know, ah, I had too much last night. I'm not having any today. Or is it, you come right out, uh, you know, I've been sober for a year. I've been sober for three months. I've been sober for 10 years. How do you how do you advise people or is it very dependent on the person? It's very dependent on the person in the situation. And I know I can speak for myself in my personal recovery and that journey and that answer has changed many times along the journey and sometimes different in two days. I have no problem sharing that I'm in long-term recovery. I know that I've gotten a multitude of reactions from that. Very early on, I found it very comforting and reassuring to just say, I'm in early recovery. I really, this is not the same for me, or this is not. Today, it's a part of who I am to the point where if I'm heading to an event where I know there's other moms and there's drinking and 
we're partying or our, our kids are having a birthday party or, or a play date, I have a mom bag. I bring my own drinks. I bring my own stuff. And I just really kind of not, I don't get a lot of questions and I don't feel as though it's something that I need to put out on front street. And it's really dependent on the situation, you know? Um, But taking power and control back and being prepared and standing strong and feeling good about who I am and my recovery today makes me very comfortable in either disclosing or not disclosing based on my choice. Last question on that, and, and I appreciate that, uh, how candid you're being and honest and upfront, and, and it's, it is personal, and it's clearly uh, you, you've, you've talked about this before. Um, <laughs> so uh, what about the replacing of one addiction with another, um, and, and how often do you deal with that? I notice a lot of folks that are, you know, back to the whole smoking issue where, where people really do struggle, but obviously it's a very different withdrawal. It's very, you know, it's, it's um, you know, people get addicted to coffee and they have to stop caffeine and they have headaches for a week, but it's not, it's maybe it's a similar process, clearly not, not progressive and deadly as you're talking about booze and drugs. But that said, do you find some people go from, okay, I'm addicted to X, whether it's, it's alcohol or something else, I'm going to now smoke two packs a day, or I'm going to drink 17 espressos every day. Do you find that there's a transfer of that, or is it really dealing with all of that addictive personality and deal across the board? So as I mentioned earlier, one of the big pieces to the treatment process is really healthy coping skills and dealing with the trauma and really digging out those embedded um, triggers and dealing with them appropriately. And through that process, we learn as a person in recovery, I am more, I am more prone to become addicted to just about anything. And Mm. it doesn't even have to be a substance. It could be exercise. It -hmm. could be, um, you know, healthiness. It could be taking any of anything in life to an obsessive compulsive, um, habit becomes an addiction. And yes, as addicts, I see it all the time. I see it in my inner groups. I see it with our patients. I see it all the time. And that's really when you have to work the program that's been placed before you. And one of the things I, I can't even say one, another thing I love about RCI is that's something we learn throughout our treatment process Mm -hmm. and something that we really dig in to heal rather than band-aid so that as we progress through our recovery in the different stages, we learn to identify. And that's really where families come in, right? My husband will be the first one to call me out if I'm drinking 10 cups of coffee a day and say, hey, you might want to call your sponsor and rework your steps this year because I'm seeing some stuff that doesn't make sense for you. And that's why we include our families. Those little things can take us down a very slippery slope very, very quickly. We rationalize, we minimize, we have all the isms to make it okay. It's the disease lying to us. Wow. Stephanie, you are a breath of fresh air. I I am so uh, happy to talk to you. I I could talk to you for an hour. Sadly, I'm out of time, Uh, but I'd love to have you back and I'd love to uh, continue this conversation, uh, not just on the podcast, but uh, also on the broadcast. This is the this is what people need to hear. They need to understand that uh, you, you really, 
you hit the nail on the head, and I never thought of it in those terms about the college kid that can drink or smoke, whatever it is, and stop and go do your life and or make a decision and and the person that can't. And that that is that that is so impactful to understand that. So thank you uh, to anyone listening. If you are a spouse or, or or a son or daughter, a sibling, even a friend, and you've got someone who's struggling or you are struggling, no matter what it is, the substance you are addicted to, uh, you've got to call 888-RECOVERY. Call them 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Yes, they answer the phone on Christmas morning. Um, and, and there is help there for you. There will be people that are there trained. And, they, and believe me, your situation, you're not the first person that has been addicted and fallen down this dark, dark path. This is something that sadly is occurring in thousands and thousands of families across New Jersey, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands across the country. And uh, the only way to stop it is to stop thinking of this as something that you have to be embarrassed by and not talk about. Actually, it's the opposite. You're struggling from something that others are also struggling with, and you have to confront it by being outspoken about it. You've got to out your suffering so that someone can come and help you. And Stephanie Davison, the team at RCA, certainly ready to step in and uh, pick you up and get you back on track. Stephanie, thank you. Really great talk. Thank you, Bill. And I look forward to our next conversation. So do I. You take care. Thank you.